humor, haunts, and homicide. Welcome to Humor, Haunts, and Homicide. I'm your co-host, Josh Compton. And I'm Renee Biggs. Hey, Renee Biggs. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Well, we're now on episode four of Humor, Haunts, and Homicide. Can you believe it? I, you know, I, I can. Because we're here making shit happen, <laughs> making dreams come true, and we're here doing it with you. All of you great fans and listeners out there. Still love you. All hundred of you. I think we're grown. A so hundred? I think we're up at like a hundred now. But that can be improved if you give us your feedback. And you can do that by giving us an email at admin at humorhauntsandhomicide.com. Also tell your friends about us. and Your family. Yeah, friends and family. Share, um, you know, our posts and stuff. That'd be really great. And make them tell their friends and family because, you know, what else is better in the world than sharing love and support for the people that you like and appreciate? Which is us, of course. Oh, of course. Because that's why you're listening. Because <laughs> you, you do that for us. So thank you for all of you. Well, what is new in the world of you? Okay, so I want to talk about a show that I've been watching on Ooh, Netflix. What is and it? It's kind of new. I think a lot of people might know about it if you're into the true crime. Um, but it's called American Nightmare. I've actually not heard of this. It's a three, like a three episode thing. And basically it goes into um, this girl and her boyfriend were sleeping at their house. Um, they have a home invasion. They're tied up. She's kidnapped. Oh. Okay. And um, maybe like I think a day later, Later, they there is like an email received with her saying, "Hey, this is my name. I've been kidnapped. I'm okay." Blah blah blah. And um, and so obviously they they think the boyfriend, you know, has done it. The whole I mean, they're they're like pegging the boyfriend from from the get go. Okay. Because they think the story's far fetched. I don't want to give it away. Okay. Because I want everyone to watch it, but you, you'll see if you. Is it new? It is. Like I think it just kind of came out. Okay. It's from 2015. Was when the um the incident occurred, but. It is a new... I think the show is from 2024. Like, it's new. Um, but anyway, so I think, like, maybe two days later, she shows back up. Okay. Like, unharmed. Like Have you seen just, Gone Girl? Okay. Yes, because... That's all I think about. Well, me. this has been dubbed the Gone Girl case. Oh. Because they literally, like, she was investigated, blah, blah, blah. I'm not completely done. I'm, like, halfway um, through the, the final episode, so I don't know how it, like, fully, fully gets wrapped up, but it's, it's riveting. I, I, it's riveting. Wow. So I highly recommend American Nightmare on Netflix. Well, I'm going to highly take you up on your recommendation because that sounds <laughs> just like something I would get into. Yeah. What have you been watching? Well, I, after many years of fighting the good fight, I have been talked into watching Game of Thrones. Oh, who have you been fighting against? Um, maybe me? Maybe I enjoy fighting with you and <laughs> I enjoy fighting you on that. However, I've given in and I am submissive to Game of Thrones. I am your Game of Thrones bitch. I've been really excited. Um... Because I watched it years ago, so it's like almost not that I'm not rewatching it, but I mean I'm getting to like relive it, it like through. Is it vicariously? Is that how you? I feel guess it? like yeah, but I'm just like reliving it again, like through your like I don't know. It's exciting, and I'm getting really excited because I know like things that are coming up. So my reactions have been <laughs> nothing but more than organic too, and very delayed, I might say. However, woo, 
book. Uh, the most recent what the fuck was episode seven of season five of Game of Thrones. San- Sansa was just raped by her now husband. Um, I can't remember his fucking name. He's gross. What the hell? Ramsey? Is that, Ramsey? Uh, Bolton? Bolton. Yeah. That's the fucker. Oh, he's, Fuck I, him. I hate him so and much. I, and, you know, and I hated what's his nuts. Or what? He doesn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> How ironic. Oh, shit. Uh, that's the one. Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. Greyjoy. That mm-hmm. piece of shit. But you know, I, I you have sympathy for him kind of after what he goes through I a little bit. I had a huge amount. And that's the thing. Like, what was done to him was so awful that like... I, I don't think it's possible to not have some sort of sympathy. Whew. Like, I, man, yeah. that that guy. Yeah. That, and and even her to like look at him for help and everything that she has to go through and to know that he fucked her entire family and city over in town, but yet she needs him and she's begging for him. He's just like, no, I'm a little bitch. And he could have killed this guy so many times. And we see that when he was shaving and he begs Theon to shave mm-hmm. and he could do it, but he's doing it right in front of that bastard that killed everyone in the Red Wedding. But by the way, I'm sorry if you guys have not watched Game of Thrones. I should have mentioned this before. Spoiler alerts are going to happen um, here. Game of Thrones has been out for so long. I at know. this point, at this point, uh, just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is, I was at this point. I don't think. You can expect to not be spoiled on Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, so I, I think you're safe. I feel good now. Yeah, I feel much better. Yeah. If you haven't watched it by now, you know. Thank you for the redemption. I feel better <laughs> yes, in my okay, life. You know. I, I can move on feeling like I'm <laughs> innocent there. However, uh, yeah, that's that's basically where I'm at. And oh, and Cersei, the great fucking cunt herself. And I don't know what's going to happen to Marjorie, but she's just basically been indoctrinated into trial because her brother's gay. Fuck. Oh, this is where I, I obviously get personal well, obviously. because this, this is something in my life livelihood. But yeah, fuck Game of Thrones. Fuck Cersei. I love Marjorie. But you love Game of Thrones. I do. But <laughs> God damn. Fuck them. And don't get attached to a character. I've, I've learned. If they kill <laughs> Brienne of Tarth and don't give me a face or a reaction, I might just cry and, and scream. So uh, that's all for that and stay tuned for my next reaction of what the fuck Game of Thrones did you just do to my emotional well-being. Thank you. But something else I'm watching is The Traitors on Peacock. Is that the one that's got like Johnny Bananas on it? He, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And okay. that's more recent, so I'm not going to give any spoilers. No, no that, yeah, so. definitely don't spoil. But I want to just make sure that that's the show I'm thinking of. So. Yes. Okay. It is that. Okay. And they had one season. It's also had several variations in other countries. Like I think they had an Australia version, a UK version. There was another something that I'm not exactly sure. But it's all the same premise. There's a big mansion. I believe it's all takes place in Scotland for all the seasons. I don't know if it's the same castle or not, but there in this particular season of season two of the American version, there are all celebrities or reality stars or people that are known if okay. you're into those you know, kind of shows. A lot of housewives. There's like three or four different people in the housewife franchise. There's a couple in the Bravo shows like Shaz of Sunset. I don't know if you know that show. I heard of it. Uh, there's a girl named MJ in there. There's Tamara from her housewives of Orange County. Okay. Phaedra from Atlanta. Sheree from Atlanta. My girls love them. And then we also had um, Larsa from Miami. Her house was in Miami. Not a huge fan of I'm her. I'm not a fan of that one. But, but she yeah. was on it. And she, <laughs> you know, if you watch it, and hopefully you do, you'll find out that these people are picked three of them are picked to be secret murderers and they have to kill off their castmates by doing secret competition 
weapons and essentially all deciding as traitors, all three of them, who to kill unanimously. So like murder mystery. I honestly, I don't know what I thought this show was about, but I didn't realize. It's so good. I think I would like that. It's so good. And then, so they'll go up at the end of the episode and they'll all have their little cuckoo where they discuss who to murder. And then that person who they murder will get a little up, like a little letter on their chair. And then for dramatics, they show the person entering and sitting down on those chairs with a letter. They open the letter and it shows the traitors have decided that you've been murdered. Then they have a quick little interview. Oh my God, I've been murdered. What did I do? What could I have done differently? And then they move on. And then the next morning they have a breakfast and whoever doesn't show all the cast know that they were murdered. So you're either a faithful and you're not a a traitor or you're a traitor and you're trying to get everybody murdered. If the traitor stands at the end, any one of the three, then they get the whole $250,000. If the, any faithfuls are still standing and no traitors are there, they split the prize of 250000 If a traitor is voted off early and they no longer have enough traitors to continue, a traitor can then recruit another traitor to try to flop from a faithful over to a traitor. Oh. And then fuck over all the people they were just playing with to try to get this prize of two hundred fifty grand, Okay. And split it with three versus... 10. Hmm. I might have to give it a fantastic. I might have to give it a watch. It's fantastic. So any of you out there that like crazy reality mystery shows, watch The Traders on Peacock. But not only do we love all things scandalous, we love laughing about all things scandalous, which leads us into our Mad Lib segment. Mad Lib of the week. Woohoo! <laughs> what do we got for you? Okay, I'm gonna cold read like I did last time. It's more fun that way. Make it frigid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Get out your reading panties. They're strapped. Because the library is moist. (laughs) Each season of RuPaul's Drag Race features a reading mini challenge (laughs) in which the queens jump one another to filth. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Here are some tips on how to throw some slimy shade. Oh, slime it. Use disgusting expressions to exaggerate your meaning. A raised eyebrow or pursed dicks. <laughs> can speak volumes. <laughs> mm. Speaking of face, slap a bitch for hair on her ass. <laughs> Poor William in her seven o'clock shadow. <laughs> you can always keep it short and hysterical like Raja. Slippery? Who cares? Syphilis. <laughs> Knock a queen for how she paints her nipple. Peanut butter is either pointy or crunchy, right, Roxy Andrews? <laughs> that was great for that one. Like Jujubee, grab in Laotian. The other dads won't know what you're saying, but that's their desk. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't pull a page out of Pearl's weave and try to bounce RuPaul, because she's not having it. No, she ain't. Yeah. Wow. That is funny. <laughs> that's good. I love that. I'm loving these Mad Libs. They're fun. They just turn a frown upside down. You, you know? know, it kind of can bring you back to, you know, you can pretend you're 14 again. That's right. You know, good times. Good, good <laughs> times. Another new thing we're going to try out, we're going to call it WTF. It stands for What the Florida, which basically stands for What the Fuck, Florida. Legit. Um, we did touch on, we did like the little cult story last week, um, your backyard cult. Oh, yeah. Um, which that kind of, we decided 
decided that that was our first installment of what what the Florida. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So let's move into this week. Before we do, would you like a quick update? Oh yes, I will. Um, on the cult status, they had another gathering this last weekend. It lasted approximately a full twenty four hours. Uh, we didn't get the whole experience though because they stopped approximately one a.m. Mm-hmm. So it didn't get the full length of the whole day. However, yeah, they had their their whole gear out there, all their people, all the the dead things wants clucking and mooing and no okay. longer. Well, wow. Uh, stay tuned for the next episode of <laughs> Are We Going to Live Past This Cult <laughs> Status Shit? All right. Oh, man. All righty. Well, today's installment of What the Florida. What the Florida. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a man named Robert Dubois. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Is it Dubois? I think you would say Dubois, actually. It's another French thing. Remember last week, the friend you had a, some trouble with, with French? I wanted to be toxic for you. Damn. Pretty okay, sure. I'm going to get you. Okay. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. But the cool thing... Watch me be wrong. I hope it is. I'm going to go back later on and follow up on the next episode about your Dubois uh, status. But Robert Dubois, which I'm going to go with Dubois. So we're okay. going gonna to fight about this word again. Okay. Robert Dubois was convicted of murder when he was 18. He's now 59. He spent 37 years in prison and he was released in 2020. He's been in prison since 1983. And Robert Dubois is now suing Tampa for $14 million in which he will receive them in installments. An Innocence Project got involved in 2018, which allowed the traction and motion for him to be released because DNA from the early 80s ended up being tested and it points to two other men that were actually involved in the slaying of the murder. And he's now getting what he rightfully deserves. Um, you know, it amazes me like how often there are wrongful convictions. Like all the time. You know, I mean, and I guess like it happens more often and like you know, the seventies and the eighties, things like that, because there was and I get it, like DNA was not prevalent the way that it is now. Um, but man, like to to have some to send someone to prison thirty seven for, <laughs> for thirty seven years and he didn't didn't commit it. I mean that that's that is that I, I don't like you're 37 it's literally your your entire life this man sat in prison for something he didn't do i have a hard head shake i know you can't see that through the audio listeners but yeah. it's very firm so wtf what the fuck florida what the fuck florida but you know what <laughs> i am happy that they're now he's getting i mean again though does does money actually like is that really justice? It's not. Uh, you know, and I mean, he actually says that in here. He says that the settlement is not only an acknowledgement of the harm that Mr. Dubois had suffered, but it's an opportunity for him to move on with his life. But ultimately, that this doesn't fix anything. It just gives him a little validation. And he's saying, bitch, better have my money. Mm-hmm. He's getting Rihanna, honey. Mm-hmm. He wants that mm-hmm. fucking coin. Pay me what you owe me. That's right. <laughs> bitch, better have that money. <laughs> Okay, guys, we have a special guest in our studio today. It's my beautiful mother, Cher Bear. Hello. Cher Bear. Thanks for <laughs> having me. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. I don't know if you remember, I did shout her out like two episodes ago. You did. So. And it's only yeah. natural for her to be here today to add some additional commentary. Yes. So, Josh, what story do you have for us today? Well, listeners, friends, and fam, I hope that you are ready because I'm going to give you the underwater scuba story of the ghost of Truk Lagoon. Ooh. 
Do you know the story? I don't, actually. Really? No, I really don't. Well, buckle up. Get your scuba gear on. Get all your wetsuits ready because we're going to dive right in. No, I don't scuba dive. Okay, well, me either. (laughs) It's it's not a great, great thing. All right. But Truk Lagoon is nestled in the heart of the Pacific Ocean. It holds within its depths a haunting history that has captivated the imagination of adventurers and historians alike. Once a bustling hub of activity during World War II, this idyllic paradise was transformed in the graveyards of ships and war machines, forever shrouded in the echoes of a forgotten era. I know. The realm of Truk Lagoon is located in Micronesia and roughly 1,100 miles northwest of New Guinea and the West Pacific Ocean. Not much is known about the history surrounding the region before the Spanish explorer, and I'm going to butcher this, but you know how I do with this. Alvaro de Saavedra. No, what is that? Saavedra? That's okay. I like that. I mean, I'm not confident, but. That's way better than I would have gotten. So great job. If you could roll your R's, I'd like that. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Founded the area in 1528. In 1899, the Spanish colonists sold the area to Germany after Spain withdrew from the Pacific in the aftermath of the Spanish American War. Then the Japanese Navy pursued and destroyed the German East Asia Squadron and provided projection of shipping lanes for allied commerce in the Pacific and Indian Oceans. I don't know if you knew about all that. Did not. Yeah. Then, during this operation, the Japanese Navy then seized Germans' possessions in the marinas, Carolines, the Marshall Islands, and the Palau groups by October 1914. Chuk then became a possession of the Empire of Japan under the South Seas mandate following Germany's defeat. On February 3rd, 1944, the Japanese started to suspect... Suspect? What the hell was that? So today, Junior, an attack that was on the horizon... The U.S. Navy had captured the nearby Japanese-owned Marshall Islands, and then almost immediately, the Japanese saw the American planes in the skies above Truk. Some of the larger Japanese warships were then moved away to Palau, and they were basically to save the more heavy machinery that was there, so that way if there were going to be an attack, at least they kept their better, you know, their better assets yeah. intact. Yeah. And then there wasn't really enough time to move all the vessels away, so, you know, what's to come next is what you'll soon be hearing. Mm-hmm. Now, on February 17th, 1944, the U.S. Navy activated Operation Hailstone on the Japanese fleet. It was an early morning attack that was planned, and it was meant to neutralize the strength of Truk Lagoon's concentrated Japanese fleet. The devastating attack, which consisted of air and ground strikes, caused catastrophic damage to the Japanese army. Over about three days, American planes had sunk about 50 ships, 275 airplanes, and in addition to this damage, the U.S. Navy killed about an estimated 4,500 or more Japanese Marine personnel. It's estimated that one ship alone had struck and killed 400 soldiers who were on the cargo when it was hit. You know, sucks for them. Not good. These attacks, for the most part, ended Truk as a major threat to the Allied operations in the Central Pacific. Truk was shortly isolated by the Allied forces as they continued their conquests toward invading the other Pacific islands. Truk's attacks were not done yet as there was a second attack from June 12th to June 16th, 1945 by the British Pacific Fleet during Operation Inmate. The goal here was to cut off the remaining Japanese forces in other Central Pacific islands. The Japanese eventually faced food and water shortages and were forced to surrender in 1945, August 1945 that is. 
the Caroline Islands were all but forgotten for about 30 years. This was until the famous French oceanographer, and you may have heard his name, Jacques Cousteau. Ooh, I do know him. Yeah, that's kind of how he got involved here. And his team, they basically explored the wreckage of Truk Lagoon in 1969. A TV documentary was aired about the lagoon and the ghostly remains. The lagoon soon became a hotspot for scuba diving enthusiasts from all over the world. The wreckage is infamously referred to as the ghost fleet of Truk Lagoon. So that's like the sunken ships that mm-hmm. are like down there and the people are scuba diving. They're scuba diving. They're going down there. They're trying to see what they can find because what you'll soon find is that not everything has been found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So roughly 50 feet below the surface of the tranquil waters, you will find the majority of the wreckage spanning from the islands of Dublin, Etten, Fefen, and Uman. The crystal clear waters make some of the wreckage site visible from the surface, which is what really attracts a lot of the divers to go because there's not a lot of work you have to put into to actually seeing where you're diving. You just get to see right from the hmm. view of the water. All the items that have sunk during these grim three days have attracted a wide array of marine life. Manta rays, turtles, sharks, and corals have all been spotted at this site on a regular basis. Some of the more common reports of wreckage litter are fighter aircrafts, tanks, bulldozers, railroad cars, motorcycles, torpedoes, mines, bombs, boxes of ammunitions, radios, thousands of weapons, spare parts, human remains, and you know, just other small little things. (laughs) One of the most sought-after missing items is the submarine I-169 Shinohara, which was lost when diving to avoid bombing. This particular submarine participated in the attacks on Pearl Harbor in December 1941. Do you think that, um, I mean, is it like a Bermuda Triangle type thing going on there? That's what a lot of people believe because of how much activity. I mean, you can't say that 4,500 plus people die and there's not a single thing haunting that area. Well, and then it just seems there's like a a lot of wreckage, like aircrafts, tanks, bulldozers, railroad It's just like, I don't know, there's a lot there. A lot. Yeah. And what really blows my mind is that the ships that have sunk are classified as Japanese war graves and artifacts from that. And the U.S. required the Japanese and during their involvement in the eventual cleanup of some of the oil tankers that lie beneath the ocean. So basically said, hey, we're going to kill you and you got to clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) Go you, U.S., you assholes. (laughs) Nothing like a great country, you know. A war grave is established when mass members of service die in the line of duty. And then basically because this happened, Shruk Lugun was classified as a war grave. The Japanese government was then deemed responsible for cleaning up the wreckage on behalf of their people. And because of this, every year, the Japan government makes a trip to the devastated site to pay respects to the lost comrades of the sea, which I think is very respectful. Yeah. Truk Lagoon wants a tranquil paradise filled with crystal clear waters, vibrant coral reefs, and a whole lot of nothing but beautiful paradise going on. It's now known for something much more sinister. The accounts of the haunted activity that still remain have been reported by numerous divers who have explored its depths. Now, the first sighting of ghostly activity in Truk Lagoon dates back to World War II, when the area was known as the Gibraltar of the Pacific. The lagoon served as the Japanese military base, and it was heavily bombed by the American forces in 1944. The wreckage of over 60 ships, 
200 aircrafts remain at the bottom of the lagoon, and it's creating a hauntingly beautiful underwater graveyard. It is said that the spirits of the soldiers who perished in the attack still roam the waters, unable to move from their tragic deaths that linger. Divers who have explored the lagoon have also reported strange occurrences, such as hearing eerie whispers, the feeling of sudden drops in temperature. Some even claim to have seen apparitions of soldiers in diving gear, some that are swimming alongside them before disappearing under weird depths. Okay, no for me. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Others have reported other equipment malfunctions and feeling as though they're also being watched by an unseen presence. What would you do? <laughs> you know, you're going down there with somebody. Well, I I mean, I, I was, full disclosure, I wouldn't be scuba diving. But if you were, what would you do? Run away. Yeah. But that's not safe when you're scuba diving to go fast. Yeah, run away to where? Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm not there. That's why I'm not down there. Well, that's good. You stay dry. You stay dry. I, I like kind of want to start sing, singing the Jaws song right now. Yes. No, thank you. Is that the Jaws song? No, it wasn't. No. Okay. no. That was um, Twilight Zone. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just testing uh, all your ability to know what song I'm talking about. That's all. And you, you passed. Name Congratulations. that <laughs> <laughs> uh, But back to the story. So another one particular disturbing account comes from a diver who's claimed to seen a goop, uh, a goop of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a goop is, but a group of ghosts, these ghostly soldiers, they're marching on seabeds and their equipment and the uniforms are perfectly preserved despite being submerged for over 70 years. Imagine. No, I don't want to. Imagine seeing a, a ghost army. Nope. No, marching, that's marching on in. I mean. The man's come marching in. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then these stories that have basically been lingering due to all the haunted activity have caused Truk Lagoon to have a reputation as one of the most haunted dive sites in the entire world. Some believe that the spirits of the soldiers are still guarding their ships and aircrafts, while others speculate that the relentless ghosts, who are also restless, are seeking revenge for their untimely deaths. Despite the spooky tales that linger, like the lost souls that remain, many divers still flock to Truk Lagoon to explore the haunting wreckage and experience the thrill of encountering these ghostly apparitions. While some may dismiss these accounts as mere fragments, Frigments? What the fuck is a frigment? <laughs> Can anyone help me with what the fuck a frigment is? No, me either. But figments of divers' imaginations, they're basically saying that they personally experience the unexplainable activity in Truk Lagoon, and they beg to differ anyone that says anything differently. After all, how else can you explain the eerie feeling of being watched in the vast expanse of the ocean, or the sight of a soldier army by a bygone era appearing right before your eyes? Yeah, I'm going to say marching armies kind of give credit to marching ghost armies um yeah you know i would say that that would wrap it up <laughs> for me pretty nicely true lagoon may be a diver's paradise it may be beautiful it may be somewhere you want to visit but it's also a place that lies between the living and the dead and it also seems to blur quite nicely its haunting beauty and tragic past will blend to continue to fascinate and intrigue those who venture into its depths and the tales of its haunted activity are surely going to be passed down from generations to come. Now, ladies, who wants to go diving? <laughs> no? Nobody? Uh, Crickets? Uh, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Great Thank job. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that nice moist. I did. <laughs> uh, go back to where we met them. No? Okay. <laughs> uh -huh. 
All right, Renee, give it to us, lady. What you got this week? Today, we are going to be talking about the murders committed by Bruce MacArthur. All right. Never heard of him. He's from Canada. All right. All right. Bruce MacArthur's crimes shocked the world when they came to light in 2018. For years, the landscaper had been living a double life, portraying himself as a friendly and trustworthy member of the Toronto community. However, behind closed doors, MacArthur was a sadistic and calculated killer, preying on vulnerable men in Toronto's gay village. His horrific crimes span almost a decade, from 2010 until his arrest in January of 2018. MacArthur's victims were primarily of South Asian or Middle Eastern descent, many of whom were struggling with homelessness and addiction. He lured them in with promises of money or drugs, and once he had gained their trust, he would strangle them to death. The killer would then dismember their bodies and bury the remains in the gardens of his clients, earning him the nickname Landscape Killer. How fucking creepy. Yeah. I also don't love... So basically, he was choosing his victims um, for people that quote in his mind didn't matter like no one would be looking for them because you know they're I mean at the time like they were they were down I know yeah and especially like Middle Eastern I mean like at that time people aren't people aren't down with them and and then you know homelessness addiction it's just I have a a premonition you don't have to tell me yet don't give away a spoiler but I think this is a typical telltale of somebody that hates themselves because they're also gay that's all I'm gonna say continue Okay. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the men murdered by MacArthur couldn't always be honest about who they were having sexual relationships with due to things like their religious background. Um, so I'm going to talk about his victims here and (laughs) please bear with me on the pronunciations. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let you know. You know, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Skandaraj. Navaratnam, (laughs) a 40-year-old from Sri Lanka who moved to Canada in the 1990s as a refugee and made a life for himself in Toronto's gay community. He was MacArthur's first victim. He worked as a teaching assistant. He was last seen leaving a nightclub. He was reported missing after not returning home to care for his brand new puppy. Abdul Basir Faizi, who was 42, split his life between Brompton, a Toronto suburb, where he lived with his wife and two daughters, and the village where he secretly socialized. His wife did not know that he was gay. Did you pick this story because of that name and it rhymes with my name for my last name? Which name? What? Brompton. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? I'm looking at that one. That's exactly it. I knew it. Faizi worked at a printing company and was last seen at a bathhouse in the village. He was reported missing in December 2010. Majid Kaihan, age 58, an Afghan immigrant, was believed to have led a double life, one with his family and the other in Toronto's gay enclave. He was reported missing by his adult son in October 2012. Now, Cahan's disappearance, along with the other two, sparked a short-lived investigation that did last from 2012 to 2014, but it yielded no suspects. Oh, damn. So, that was a missed opportunity there. Sure. Because, unfortunately, Bruce did not stop there. Oh, no. His next victim was Soroush Mahmoudi, who was 50, as a refugee from Iran. Married with children, he was reported missing by his wife in August 2015. She actually described him as her soulmate. 
which I'm thinking like, mm, ma'am. He allegedly went to bed and was gone the next morning. The assumption was that he'd gone to work but was never seen alive again, which I think he probably snuck out to go to the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. you have it. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Kairushna Kumar Kanagaratnam yeah. was 37. Nailed that. Show you. Wow. And came from war torn Sri Lanka to Canada seeking asylum and a better life in 2010. Because he didn't have refugee status, he had been living underground, so it wasn't immediately apparent when he had vanished. People initially thought that he was in hiding. So they don't really know for sure, but evidence suggests that he was killed in January of 2016. Okay. Dean Lissowick was 47, loved life and adventures, yet struggled with mental health and substance abuse. Unlike MacArthur's earlier victims, Lissowick, who was a sex worker, was never even reported missing to the police at all. Really? Of course wow. not. Why would... Yeah. Well, uh, a gay sex worker? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Terrible. Authorities think that he was murdered on or about April 23rd, 2016. Salim Eason was 44 and came from Turkey to Canada in 2013 and settled into life in Toronto's LGBT-friendly neighborhood. As a gay person, Salim wasn't happy living in Turkey, his brother said in a 2018 statement. His tender and kind humanity came before everything else, they added. Eason was last seen alive on the evening of April 15th, 2017. He was reported missing by a friend. Wow. Now, Andrew Kinsman was 49, and he was called a gentle giant. He was a big, well-connected presence in the village community. A building super, people quickly noticed that he was missing and alerted the police in June of 2017. His disappearance mobilized the gay community and fueled rumors of a gay killer on the loose. So at this point, people are starting to get wise to, like, that somebody is targeting them and, like, let's do something about this. It's also eerily around my birthday, which is also creeping me out, that you picked my birthday and my last name, Stalker. Well, I you mean... Know, <laughs> now, one person who had a lucky escape from MacArthur was Sean Cribben who met online on a hookup app in 2017 where Bruce used the username Silver Fox. Oh. Sean traveled to MacArthur's Toronto apartment where the plan was to have sex. MacArthur gave him GHB and he ended up passing out for about 20 minutes. When he came around, he saw him just standing there looking at him, which would be a little unnerving. Uh, yeah. Um, Sean is very lucky to be alive as this was only about one month after MacArthur had killed his eighth victim. Sometime after the incident, a detective contacted Sean and said that an image of him had been found on MacArthur's hard drive. He had put a hood over his head and duct tape over his eyes. This had been during taken during that 20 minutes that he had been passed out. Why MacArthur decided not to kill him, we'll never know. Oh, my God. Lucky I have God. a personal story for you. Okay. I feel yeah. like if I could like to share Yeah, that. I would love it. So there's this friend, and just due to privacy and sensitivity, I'm not going to say their name. And um, this person had a crush on me at one point. And I didn't really realize it at the time. Um, and my best friend, Stacy, hey, love you. Shout out. Um, Stacy. 
she used to come over in my apartment and we were we would often stay the night at each other's apartments just when we get out of work just because we were both kind of single and wanted to kind of feel comfort with each other so sometimes I get home on a third shift and she'd be in my bed and vice versa it was just kind of the fun thing we did and one of these days I wake up and this person is standing over my bed no <laughs> and I, I like shake Stacy and Stacy was also a mutual friend with this person so it was like also very very weird to her and um she was like <laughs> i thought normally stacy would pop off because she's just that kind of person you don't mess with her she's she's a bad bitch and um she looked at me and she went Ugh, and she just rolled over went back to bed <laughs> and i went what are you doing here and they went i i wanted to come surprise you and i said surprise you did um can you leave how fucking weird. Surprise, wow. surprise. Like, I didn't, my, for one, my <laughs> Middle of the night? It, yeah, it was the afternoon. It was like 2 p.m. or something after like waking up oh, from so a third not, shift. Oh, oh okay, okay, we okay. just gotten up because I we, thought this was like 2 in the morning. No, no, no. Like, we had, I gotten out of work at like Still 2. Still not cool. No. But, mm -hmm. but I didn't um, unlock my apartment. Like, I'm purposely and crazy like that. And I, I know I locked it. And um, I don't know how they broke in, but they did. So. Wow. It looks like you dodged a bullet. I dodged a bullet. Here. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. I sure did. Wow. Yeah. So, there's that. All righty. Well, mm -hmm. wow. Hmm. What is perhaps most disturbing about MacArthur's crimes is the way he was able to evade detection for so long. Despite being interviewed by police during that investigation of the three missing men in 2013, MacArthur was not considered a suspect at all at the time. I mean, I wonder how we, how we, I mean, wow. anyway. It wasn't until 2017 that he finally caught the attention of authorities when some of his victims' remains were found at the home of one of his clients. This discovery led to a more thorough search of his apartment and van, where police would uncover even more evidence linking him to these murders. As details of MacArthur's crimes emerged, a picture of a disturbed and twisted individual began to form. Not only did he meticulously plan and execute the killings, but he also took photos and videos of all of his victims in various stages of undress and posed their corpses after their deaths. How disgusting and creepy. So let's take it to a whole nother level. Oh my mm. gosh. It was clear that this was not the work of a deranged individual acting on impulse, but rather a calculated and deliberate series of murders. Wow. Terrible. Now, as the trial for MacArthur's crimes progressed, the full extent of his depravity came to life. To light, excuse me. <laughs> he was found guilty of eight counts of first-degree murder, with some speculating there may be even more victims who have yet to be discovered. I agree with this because, I mean, he would kill somebody, like, you know, two months, you know, from each other, and then I think there was the one, like, the second to last and the last were maybe a whole year apart, which... At, at this point, there's so much. So I'm it's thinking that he's got to have more victims and like if you know dean who wasn't even um reported to the police at all i mean how many more of those could there have been and there's there's definitely i'm um, at least i'm thinking that there's people out there that are still unaccounted so, for, yeah. for sure MacArthur's heinous actions have left the community reeling with shock and grief, and many questions still remain about how he was able to evade detection for so long. The crimes of Bruce MacArthur will undoubtedly leave a lasting impact on the city of Toronto and the LGBTQ community for years to come. During his trial, MacArthur showed no remorse at all for his actions, and even went as far as to blame his victims for their own deaths. 
basically because of they were drug addicts they were you know um, they had mental issues no one is gonna miss them that's kind of you know he yeah this callous attitude only added to the horror and disgust felt by the public and the families of the victims. The sentencing of MacArthur to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years brought some closure to the families, but the pain and trauma caused by his actions will never fully heal. Now, I'm going to remind you this is Canada. So Canada, really, I think the U.S. has some of the strongest you know, laws as far as you know, life in prison, things like that. Um, a lot of these other countries, you know, I mean, you, when you get life in prison and then like you can get parole after, I don't think you should ever get parole if you were murdering eight people, Numerous maybe people. more. So what is uh, the, the penalty in Canada at this time? Well, I mean, he's basically, I mean, I'm assuming he got probably the max you can get life with no parole for 25 years. That for so them, that would the I would say for them, that's pretty, okay. that's pretty, but I just- So there's still the possibility of always getting out of prison for your crime? Correct, however, um, he was in his late 60s at the time of these crimes, so we have, we've but got that going. what if he had been 18? I, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. The crimes of Ruth, wow. <laughs> Who's Ruth? <laughs> Ooh, let's start over there. <laughs> The crimes of Bruce MacArthur serve as a reminder that there are monsters among us and that we must remain vigilant in protecting our communities. His case also highlights the need for better protection and support for marginalized communities who are very often targeted by serial killers and violent criminals. And that is the story of that asshole, Bruce. Bruce, Bruce. <laughs> MacArthur. Well, Bruce, I fucking hate you, you asshole, dick. Yeah, great job. That was Thank a good story. But fuck him yeah, to the severest penalty yeah, of all extent of the world. We words. hate him. Hate him. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining us today yes, on our you. episode four of Humor Haunts and Homicide. Today's show notes for my Truke Lagoon story include the sunsnewsarticle.com for the haunting underwater graveyard and all that's interesting's article for Truke Lagoon, Wikipedia's article for Chook Lagoon, Paranormal Strange's fandom wiki article for Chook Lagoon, sportdiver.com's article for Truke Lagoon's haunted ghost and more details in the show notes. And the sources for the Bruce MacArthur story were Oxygen.com, Catching a Serial Killer um, on Bruce MacArthur. I did also listen to the Crime Junkie podcast um, where they covered him. So good. And a BBC article highlighting the victims of Bruce MacArthur. And everything else will be in the show notes. Fantastic. I loved it. Well, again, everybody, thank you for joining us. We cannot wait to see you back for episode five. We're so happy that you are here still with us we and um, we're growing and growing. that's exciting love so. it this has been so much fun I, know. I know I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed it too but look really really important oh yeah mystery never sleeps and neither do we bye, bye bitch Humor, haunts, and homicide.